we have to start with God. And, of course, we wouldn't doubt that God gets it right. But something must have gone wrong somewhere because there is a couple being married in Oslo that is two men. And not only that, two women are married in Oslo. And poor Charles Darwin, what would he say about that? These people shouldn't exist because probably they don't make babies together. And those who make a lot of babies will be selected for. You have two men kissing, celebrating their civil partnership act and the certificate they got in San Francisco and male homosexuality or same-sex sexual behavior is prevalent throughout the ages, throughout the cultures. Here you have an interaction between two males in ancient Greece and an interaction between two females in ancient Greece. Well, if we do the body count nowadays and we follow what um, Alfred Kinsey found out, about 4% of all males, human males, would be exclusively sexually oriented towards their own sex and about 1% to 2% of all females. If we now calculate that we have 7 billion people, 1% would be 7 million. If I take the exclusively homosexual males and females together, and I'm a bit conservative, that would be 5% of the world's population. So that would be 350 million. Well, that's the population of the USA. These many people are exclusively homosexual. Maybe that's why the economy is not so good in the USA. It's the same amount of people which are in the Eurozone. Maybe that explains the recent turmoils. And it's the same amount of population like in whole South America. Maybe that explains why they are doing so well with the economy. Of course, speaking about homosexuals and heterosexuals is black and white thinking. I just do that for this talk to make it a bit easier. But the world is much more complex, much more complicated, much more colorful, as already indicated by the classic Kinsey scale, where you would be exclusively heterosexual if you are on the left side. You would score a zero on this Kinsey scale. If you are exclusively homosexual, you're on the right. But of course, there is so much in the middle. And then, of course, nowadays, what really is at the forefront is the queer studies. It's not any longer about black and white, but it's about the whole of nature's rainbow. Now, my talk will try to address that apparent paradoxon. Isn't it against nature to be homosexual? I speak to you as an expert in uh, behavioral ecology. I've studied monkeys and apes, for many years, I have studied other animals, and with other animals, I mean animals like me and you, because I look at us as being another type of animal. And I have published a few books about this topic. On the left-hand side, Vida di Natur, 
was an attempt to help change the laws in the German-speaking world that did succeed. In the middle is a book I edited with my colleague Paul Basie on homosexual behavior in animals. And on the right-hand side is my latest book on apes like us. Well, of course, God was not sloppy. You know, people have their free will. God didn't make the mistake. It was people sinning against God's good intentions which made them make the wrong choices. So that means that from a moral point of view, we have a whole big coalition which has been up there throughout the ages trying to condemn people who love members of their own sex. This is the current world map. If it's dark brown, there you will be put to death if you confess being a homosexual. If it's dark blue, countries like Canada, Argentina, South Africa, um, Spain, the Scandinavian countries, there you have equal rights, basically. Doesn't mean you will not be discriminated against, but on paper you have equal rights. And then there are all the shades in between. Why would people be so hung up and why and how will they make their arguments why homosexual behavior is wrong? One of the main arguments is throughout the different religions that it's a sin against nature. Animals do not do that. And here you have all kinds of experts in animal behavior, Robert Mugabe, President Zweitzman, who are telling you that they know that animals don't do that. And that for that reason, really, it's against nature. And for that reason, such behavior should be condemned. Let me take these expert zoologists a little bit uh, into their responsibility. Are animals really the better people? Do they not do what sinful humans do? Well, let me show you the sinful humans again and show at the same time that animals pretty much can do anything humans might do in one or the other situation. That's a copulation more canum in the way the dogs do it. I'm not uh, saying the vernacular term for it. You might know it. But here are some non-dogs which do that exactly in the same way. Bonobos in Southern California. Um, this is ventro-ventral copulation, more hominum in the way humans do it. And you see our bonobos doing exactly the same. Well, the bonobos in Southern California get tired of just having heterosexual sex and they have to think about more exciting stuff. And when they do so, they might settle for this kind of activity, which is called male masturbation, in case you didn't recognize. Now, this is called female masturbation. So animals do a lot of stuff. Humans, so I have read in a book, do. Now, females show an interest in each other, and that leads to the famous GG rubbing, genito-genital rubbing in bonobos. You have them here pressing 
their anal genital region against each other and rubbing their clitoris to the left, in the middle, to the right. <laughs> and this kind of rubbing seems to be very exciting to them. Now, what about the nice orgy? You know, I mean, we haven't really gotten everything out of them. Well, they can do it. Here is somebody sticking his finger into, you know, the area where the action is and then jumping on top of it. Uh, so what about sex between children? What about sex with children? Well, they do a lot of stuff, these bonobos. And hmm, are they the better people? Well, that invitation you might try out one day if you get into the situation. If I zoomorphize homosexuality, there could be a lot of criticism leveled against me. For example, well, obviously they live in San Diego. That is a captive environment. And that's, you know, why they are so deprived. Well, look at these guys. These are the wildest gorillas you can possibly find, mountain gorillas in East Africa. And no, this is not a male and a female. These are two males doing it in the wild. What about homosexual sex is just rare and anecdotal? Here is a band of Indian langur monkeys. They do it with each other every single day. What about homosex is desperation? Given a choice, they wouldn't do it. Here you have two female langur monkeys rubbing their, uh, one of them rubbing her um, genital region on the back of another one. On the right-hand side <laughs> is a willing male who is clearly objecting and saying, don't do that, but it doesn't help. It's their choice. What about homosex is not social behavior? Uh, sorry, what about homosex is just social behavior? It's not sexual. Stumptail macaques. If you see what they do, it will be very difficult to say that that isn't sex, but just social. Look at number E, two males masturbating each other. Look at number B, that is anal intercourse between two males. Look at number F, that is position 69 <laughs> between two males. Most important, look at Number A, which shows you what stumptail macaques do when they have an orgasm, they show the O mouth, which is an indicator, and you can actually implant um, radio transmitters which tell you the heart frequency and which also tell you the uterus contractions in females when they have homosexual sex. And whatever you can say, it's the same excitement and pleasure during homosexual sex as there is during heterosexual sex. So it is sex. Now, clearly, these animals, they are bisexual. They are not exclusively homosexual. But there are quite a few animals where um, males will never have any sexual contact in their life except with other males. For example, you find that in flamingos, you find that in gray leg geese. And most interestingly, oi, now there is one 
Ah, right, sorry. Greilecki is fine. But still, they could be deprived somehow and not have the right opportunities. So what about if they really have a choice? Is there what we could call a homosexual orientation? That animals actually fantasize about wanting to have sex with members of their own sex. Amongst the bovids is very good evidence for that, and in particular, again, amongst these guys. These are domestic sheep. 10% of all rams are exclusively homosexual in their behavior and will mount other males, even if they are presented with a choice. It's indicated here in this box. So here are four experimental sheep which are constrained with their heads. Two females here, two males here, and this guy will only go for the males. He will never go for the females. And 10% of all male sheep seem to have a homosexual orientation. They love to do that. Now, we could still say that, oh, this is all somehow instinct and so, and humans are different because, you know, all, it's all kind of cultural variation, cultural construction of that behavior. Now, we also know that amongst other animals, there is a great variation within a given species. For example, this homosexual behavior amongst female Japanese macaques is seen only in some groups. In the neighboring groups, they may not do that, meaning there are sexual cultures amongst non-human animals. Now to the more complicated questions. Why would humans and other animals do that? Well, André Gide had the idea that it really must be stuff that is difficult to explain by biology because it would have to be passed on through a heterosexual act. But he can't quite see how this would work. And so he says, the drive must reside deep inside the flesh. Let's have a look. Here is our flesh, partly consisting of DNA. And there is evidence that um, homosexual behavior has a genetic component in humans. And we get that evidence, for example, from the studies of identical twins. If you have a gay brother or a lesbian sister, your chance, if you are an identical twin, of having the same orientation is about 50%. If you are a dizygotic, non-identical twin, then the chance that you have the same orientation is still about 20%. If you have a homosexual brother or sister, your chance is still 10%. That is still higher than above random expectation. So there is some, perhaps, genetic component. Or has it to do with the brain? We know that sexual orientation starts to develop already in the fetus, and hormones which are floating around in the fetal brain can do a lot of stuff. For example, um, there is an interesting study about how um, in the womb, 
the likelihood, sorry, how in the womb um, mothers will actually develop an immune response against male fetuses. And that is an immune response against the histocompatibility antigenes of these male fetuses. So if a mother then has a second son, she will already be slightly immunized against such male fetuses and her, um, and her antibodies, which she will produce, will be there with a greater frequency, so to speak. So you get that interesting phenomenon that uh, older brothers, if you have older brothers, they increase the likelihood that you, as a newborn son to your mother, will be homosexual. That's only found for males, not for females. What about your upbringing? Good old Freud had good ideas, very interesting. They're, of course, classic ideas, which maybe will not quite hold up to modern scrutiny in females. They have a penis envi, and they have anxiety of paternal penetration, and all that leads to females wanting to have sex with other females to get out of that problem. In males, they might be attracted to their mama, but there is the incest taboo which doesn't allow them to do that, and of course there's also the anxiety that their father might castrate them. So they'd rather have sex with other males. These are explanations which have been put forward, and of course there is a huge literature on these mechanisms which might cause homosexual behavior. But that's of course not what Darwin was concerned with. What we have to ask is the why question at another level. If we say why is that behavior there, we have to ask two questions actually which are related to why. For example, take the question why do people crave sugar? You can answer that by asking how come they crave sugar? And you say, oh, it tastes really good. But then you would also have to ask, oh, what for are people craving sugar? Well, it provides energy. Or here, animals playing. How come they are playing? Well, it's fun. They are young. What for? Well, it provides some training for later life. That's the same here for our phenomenon. You have to distinguish between the mechanisms, also called causa efficiens by Aristotle, from the functions, the causa finalis. We have only now touched upon potential mechanisms. How come? Genes, hormones, neurons, upbringing. We have to ask what for might such behavior there, what evolutionary advantage might be there so that it's not wiped out. Potential functions of homosexual sex. Well, let's start with this one. If it's bisexual, it could just be good training for what you need later in life, like in these dolphins. That's a penis, not easy to see, two males having some fun in the water. It's known that males have to be very, very coordinated uh, to later actually abduct females which other males want to mate with and also coerce females if they don't want to do what they want to do. And you really have to know where you put your genitals and how to do it efficiently. 
could be training. We could also say that sex is a social tool. It's a currency. You know, you are pleasing other people and they, you know, might trust you, they might engage with you, like here in these famous male combinations on the upper left from Babylon um, in the middle, David and Jonathan, famous warriors in the upper uh, right corner, a couple from Egypt and beside Achill and Patroclus, warriors who had homosexual sex with each other, who knew each other very well, and also famous in the lower left corner, the sacred band of Thebes, where uh, Greek uh, warriors would uh, be well known to fight very well because they had a lot of homosexual sex. And a recent example on the right-hand side, Hitler's Sturmabteilung, uh, the SA, which was a band of gay brothers. Now, remember the bonobo females with their homosexual GG rubbing, genital genital rubbing? They used that to form coalitions. And here you see two females walking off after they enjoyed each other. They trust each other, and they are very strong together, and they can beat up males. And that's what they do due to their lesbian power. <laughs> now, kin selection is another possibility how you could actually explain, at least uh, how you could explain the existence of non-reproductive behavior. Evolution doesn't always need to look at the individual that passes on his or her genes. Copies of the genes in relatives will also do. And if you become a non-breeder and you increase the likelihood that certain genes are passed on because you are helping your relatives, that will work. And it's, of course, behind insect societies like bees, like termites. It's well known in birds like scrub jays, in wild dogs, in hyenas. In all these societies do you find non-breeders, which at times act homosexually. They are sexually mature. You find it in these cute ones, the meerkats, ever thought about that? Hmm. And you find it in primates such as calitricids. There has been a proposal that that uh, was a pattern during early human evolution, um, non-reproductive helpers who would acquire meat and who would be um, not mating and not be in the mating game. Now, if they are still, if this is still the driving force today for homosexual behavior, and let's just focus on male homosexual behavior, then you would expect that these guys who are not breeding themselves but helping their relatives have particular talents so that they can increase the reproductive success of their brothers and sisters. There are studies, quite a few, which show that gay men have a higher intelligence quotient and they earn more than heterosexual men, which is uh, a good way of helping your relatives. That pattern, you also find it in more traditional societies 
like in the um, Native Americans. Individuals like Wei Wa, whom you see here dressed up in women's clothing, he is a genetic male, and she is a skillful weaver. And he, she is somebody who is placed in his um, tribe between the males and the females because Wei Wa uh, wields a lot of authority in the way shamans do and did in other traditional societies, would be a matchmaker, a prophet, and somebody who would uh, be called upon during conflict. That leads to these individuals having a high authority and a lot of wealth. And that wealth will often go to their relatives. There is a particular word which is given to these individuals, they are berdachis. We would call them in our parlance uh, homosexual cross-dressers. But of course, that's our gender lingo which we nowadays attach to them. And it may well be that the um, inclination to cross-dressing is still very much alive, as you can see here, uh, surely at certain occasions, and not only at certain occasions, quite a few of us take to it very proudly. There is, of course, cross-dressing in other uh, castes of modern society, and I don't think uh, I would go out of my way by saying that a lot of these individuals choose to be in the institution they are in, and I mean the individual on the right-hand side, because there are uh, homosexual men in that institution and because they like to bond with such males. It is also perhaps no coincidence that you have a lot of performing artists uh, being um, gay or lesbian, and these would be the modern shamans, if you so want. These would be those who perform rituals and make us wonder. Fashion designers, quite well known. And most interestingly, you have here an example where Versace uh, passed on his wealth, and that's what the kin selection hypothesis predicts to his niece. So he would be a good example for that hypothesis having some validity, and other data also show that. <coughs> Another example for how homosexual behavior can come about has to do with our blood. Well, there is a phenomenon called sickle cell anemia, and uh, that aberration of how blood cells are formed is maintained because when you have it, you are more or less immune against malaria. And the mechanism works like this. There would be a mother and a father, and there would be carriers for one or the other of these um, alleles. And because if you are heterozygote, if you are not a full-blown carrier who will die, but if you are just having half of it in your genes, then you have a greater likelihood to survive. And we can just play this now, let's say, with the inclination to be heterosexual, called hey here, and the inclination to be homosexual, called ho here. So if you have hey-ho parents, they will produce children which are hey-hey, which are hey-ho, hey-ho, and those which are ho-ho, 
they would be manifest homosexual. Those which are hey hey would be heterozygotes, and it is now uh, quite well known that females who carry an allele which if homozygote in males will make them homosexual, that such females are more attractive and have a greater reproductive success. So that may also explain why Santa Claus is always shouting ho-ho. And it explains even more why he is shouting actually ho-ho-ho, because he loves Rudolph. For that, he needs one more ho. Now, clearly, homosexuality is compatible with evolutionary theory and not against nature. But to end my talk, I just want to show how we can do anything with nature. Homosexuality is against nature. That's what a lot of people said. They are wrong, as I showed you, but nevertheless, for that reason, they will condemn homosexuality. You could, however, say, oh, homosexuality... Homosexuality is natural. Animals do it. And you could say, well, for that reason, we uh, should condemn it because we are not animals. Primitive animals? No, we are not. But you could turn it around. You could say homosexuality is natural. And for that reason, we should condone it because, you know, um, humans should not suppress such drives. And most bizarre of all, you could come up with the remaining combination. You could say, now listen carefully, Homosexuality is against nature. Animals do not do it. And for that reason, we should do it. Because lions don't desire other males. They are not philosophers. Wise men, however, pursue same-sex love. So make of it what you want if you invoke nature. It's natural. That's all the stuff animals do. American family values. But animals do also this stuff. And, hmm, do we really want to do that? Maybe. Animals do that stuff. Maybe in some cultures people think that they should do that. So there is a lot of stuff animals do and animals don't. And if we like it, we call it natural. And if we don't like it, we call it animalistic. Clearly, nature does not bestow virtue. It is an art to become good. To finish, I have a sentence which I like better. Never let your sense of morals get in the way of doing what's right. <laughs> Thank you. for such an enlightening and fascinating talk. We do have a few minutes for questions, if anyone has any. There is roving mics um, waiting around, so please do wait for those because this lecture is being broadcast online and they won't be able to hear you without a microphone. So does anyone have any questions? There's one right in the middle down here. Just thinking about the, the map that you put up, clearly what is clearly natural is to be against homosexuality because that's, that seems to be what is so prevalent in the world. Can evolution say anything to us about why so many people for such a long period of time have been against it? 
It's a difficult question. Why should there be homophobia if I, as a heterosexual man, will have less competition if these other guys are not messing with me? There is no clear answer, but I would think it actually has to do with when societies become more liberal, when they become more liberal, then you will somehow become more insecure about the role you play. And then you have to pigeonhole yourself. Look at our societies. Being gay is a social construct that didn't exist 100 years ago or so. But now, because everything is so liberal, we have to say who we are. And we have to come out of the closet. We have to be gay. But at the same time, those who are insecure on the heterosexual side now have an opposition where they can say, that's not me. Um, you know, I am straight, and these ones shouldn't be. That, of course, doesn't really explain it. And I do not have an explanation. But that's the best one I can come up with. Thank you. Any other questions? This one up here. Uh, what is your opinion on entirely environmental explanations of uh, homosexuality, such as Daryl Bem's um, exotic becomes erotic theory? You can uh, take it either way. If you look down there on the LGBT credos, it was more fashionable in the 20th century to say it's just environmental. It's my choice. Uh, I do not believe that nature-nurture is a good dichotomy. There is always nature and always nurture, and you can't really distinguish between the two. And nowadays, however, uh, that is a view which, for example, in LGBT forums, you will hardly ever hear, actually. Now people will say, of course it's not my choice. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. So I think what people say and what they believe is also strongly influenced by our political climate. And we are more willing now to sort of listen to some genetic explanation. There's one behind you, actually, just at the top. Can you, sorry, can you wait for a microphone so they can hear you? You said about flamingos, that they, they are entirely homosexuals, so how do they reproduce? They steal eggs from heterosexual pairs and raise these eggs. That's the same in gray leg geese. So they do not directly reproduce. And how that behavior would be maintained is not clear. But it could be that, let's say, they would aim to, at one point in their life, become heterosexual breeders, but they can never do it. And so they keep on practicing with eggs which are not their own. Great, we have one right in the middle who's already got the microphone. Okay, hello. <clears throat> uh, infantophilia is obviously something extremely horrific. And, uh, but would you say infantophilia is natural for the same reasons you say homosexuality is natural? Of course, I avoided that uh, word, pedophilia, because I didn't want to get into the discussion. Once again, if something is natural or not natural, doesn't say anything whether or not we find that morally acceptable or not. But of course, you could say that the conduct which you saw in ancient Greece, where you had adult males um, having 
sex with children, according to our definition, they would be 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old, nowadays would be a crime. And so that tells you at least that it's relativistic, depending on the cultures. Uh, and I would say, yes, um, there is a lot of uh, what looks like sex with children in other animals. That's as much as I would say. So I'm really not entering into the debate uh, how we should judge that in terms of values. But clearly, societies have to make decisions, and they always do. And when you do that, you will um, have to have a compromise in the society, and then certain behaviors are off bounds. There's one over here on this side. I was interested in the um, concordance between the, the twins. Yes. I think you said identical twins was about 50%. Yes. Um, Non-identical twins, about 20%, and siblings, about 10%. Yes. The latter two, um, I mean, non-identical twins, dizygotic twins, and ordinary siblings are genetically, have the same relationship to each other, except yes. the, the twins are the same age. Then you would, of course, invoke the environment. Well, I was thinking, yes, yes, nurture, would obviously, one would think, would play a part in it. Yes. Lovely 50% in that case. Uh, would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's why genes don't explain everything. Otherwise, you would have in identical twins the same sexual orientation all the time. I think we have time for one more question, if, if you do. That's just immediately to your left there. Um, good afternoon. Um, there have been new, new studies on epigenetics and the effects of it over generations. Do you think that has any role in homosexuality? couldn't really answer the question, but I would believe that yes, uh, if certain behaviors um, are favored in certain environments, that they perhaps would become more frequent. For example, in the case of the homosexual rams, you can clearly see if they are in lines where the breeders are allowing the mothers of these homosexual rams to breed, that you will get more homosexual rams. And so it could well be that um, environmental conditions will lead to an increase in certain behaviors. Okay, well that's I'm afraid we've got time for. I'd like to thank you all so much for coming today and for your questions. Most importantly, for welcoming <laughs>